Welcome to the second episode of the Big Ten Roundtable on Sports Illustrated Fan Nation. Join us every week as we tour the conference and have conversations with Fan Nation publishers and national college reporters about the hottest topics around the Big Ten. In this week's episode, Sports Illustrated Fan Nation publisher and Big Ten Roundtable host Tom Brew sits down with Brendan Billick of Buckeyes Now to discuss Ohio State's big win over Notre Dame. We also chat with all Penn State's Mark Wogenrich about the Nittany Lions season opening win at Purdue. This is your announcer, Chuck Crabb, and let's join the show. Here's your host, Tom Brew. Hello, everybody. This is Tom Brew for Sports Illustrated Fan Nation, and welcome back to the Big Ten Roundtable. It's week two in the Big Ten season already now, moving right along, which was good. We got off to a great start last week, uh, really entertaining Big Ten schedule uh, throughout the weekend, night after night after night, and it was all good. And happy to be able to break it all down for you guys now with uh, with our second episode of the Big Ten Roundtable. Really excited and happy to be doing this every year uh, online on the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network, uh, sharing uh, insight from right from the locker room and on the sidelines from some of our best of the of our Big Ten reporters from around the league uh, throughout it, and it's no different today. Uh, we've got a nice a nice full crowd today too, as well as we break down some of the Week One action that went on. It was uh, it was a really great way to start. We had a, you know some activity in Week Zero, you know prior to that, but everybody got rolling last week. And boy, I tell you what, Fox did a wonderful job nationally in regards to picking some games to uh, to highlight because uh, you know they they wanted to have. Uh, a national TV game featuring the Big Ten on Thursday night, and they had Penn State at Purdue. Turned out to be a thrilling game with Penn State winning 35-31. Quarterbacks in that game, Sean Clifford and Aiden O'Connell, both were fabulous. And uh, Penn State, nice drive late by Sean Clifford. Uh, completed six or seven passes in that last drive, and Clifford was great. And uh, Penn State got a win on the road. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to Mark Wogenrich from all uh, all Penn State. Our uh, our Nittany Lions uh, channel here on the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network, and we'll break all that down with him uh, here in just a bit, too. But uh, that was a great way, and I always tell people that any time, every Big Ten road win is a big deal. And uh, and for Penn State uh, to get a road win in the, in the league uh, and also get it in week one of the season against a team that had similar aspirations with Purdue, you know, that, uh, you know they went into that game, you know, really – wanting to get off to a great start, too, and it didn't happen. But a uh, good win for Penn State there. And then Friday night, just as exciting, Indiana, Illinois, and Bloomington. Uh, Illinois led uh, most of the second half, but uh, uh, Indiana behind Connor Bazelik, their you know, brand-new quarterback, the transfer from Missouri, led a great two-minute drive down the field uh, and uh, pulled it out. And uh, uh, Sean Shiver scored from a yard out to, to give Indiana the win, 23-20. Another great, exciting, you know, national TV game on Fox that worked out well, and uh, kind of everybody got rolling Saturday. There were a lot of uh, a lot of cupcake games. There were a lot of teams that dominated as they should have, but uh, um, but there were some some nice things too. Big uh, Rutgers was really the only Big Ten team playing a, a, a non-conference road game, and uh, they were seven-point underdogs at Boston College, an ACC team that. People have a good deal of respect for, but Rutgers played really well and wound up knocking them off. So it was a, a great win for uh, uh, for uh, Steve Sh- uh, for Shiano's team there for at, at Rutgers uh, to get an opening win and uh, and to beat Penn, uh, Boston College on the road was huge. And of course Saturday night, the highlight, of course, of the Big Ten schedule in Week One was 
the number two Ohio State taking on number five Notre Dame at, uh, in Columbus. And uh, a great victory for Ohio State, 21 to 10 they won. And really, uh, we talked about it a lot in previewing the game last week with Brendan Gulick at BuckeyesNow.com. But everybody was curious to see how that Ohio State defense was going to hold up, and uh, and they were wonderful. They uh, gave up an early score to Notre Dame and pretty much shut them down the rest of the way. And twenty one ten was was a very impressive win. And uh, uh, you know Ohio State just uh, certainly uh, national championship contenders without question. And they uh, no one uh, is changing their mind after that first win for sure. So it uh, it was a great Saturday night, and uh, so we'll uh, certainly as that with that being the uh, the prime game on the week one schedule, we're going to talk in depth with Brendan Gulick here in just a few minutes. And uh, we'll really break down and get a lot of insight from, uh, you know, Brendan was there and uh, broke it down really well. And uh, he's got a lot to talk about in regards to how well that defense played and what concerns, if any, we need to have with the Ohio state offense or not, but uh, uh, just a great win for the Buckeyes. And we'll, uh, we'll break all that down with Brendan here real soon too. And then obviously uh, Mark Wogenrich, as I mentioned from all Penn state is with us today as well. We'll talk about Penn state's, uh, win over Purdue and kind of what lies ahead. Uh, they've got Ohio University this week uh, in uh, in Beaver Stadium, but next week they travel to Auburn uh, for a good Big Ten SEC showdown on, on national TV. Uh, it's the CBS 3:30 game uh, two weeks from today or two weeks from Saturday, and uh, that's that's a big game for Penn State there. And then they have a lot of their Big Ten uh, big games uh, early in the schedule in, in October uh, with Michigan Ohio State early on their Big Ten slates. So we'll break down a lot of Ohio, uh, Penn State with Mark and uh, uh, take a look at Sean Clifford, their quarterback, a look at their defense and, uh, and what they might need to do to get their running game going. So we've got a lot, a lot to talk about with those two guys. And then, of course, in our final segment, we'll break down week two for you, give you all the, give you all the games in week two and, uh, and break them all down, give you TV times, start times, all that, have all that for you as well, too. So uh, so let's get rolling on it. We'll, uh, we're will we going to jump in with Brendan, and we're going to break down Ohio State. But first, let's hear from a word from some of our sponsors. This is Tom Brew with Sports Illustrated Fan Nation, and we'll be back right after this. And here they come, and Indiana got to him. Indiana football is back. Indiana football tickets are on sale now. Catch the action this fall at Memorial Stadium as head coach Tom Allen leads the Hoosiers into battle against seven different home opponents this season. Purchase your tickets today for the home opener against the Illinois Fighting Illini on Friday, September 2nd. For more information, visit IUHoosiers.com. Support the Hoosiers in 2022. Go IU. Okay, welcome back to uh, the first quarter of the Big Ten Roundtable here. And uh, uh, very happy to have Brendan Gulick from BuckeyesNow.com joining us. Obviously, the big game of the week uh, in the Big Ten last week was Ohio State-Notre Dame. And uh, it was certainly the, the premier matchup you know, for any of the Big Ten teams in there. And the game itself uh, did not disappoint. And uh, for someone like Ohio State that's, uh, that's looking to contend for a national title, I think all eyeballs are going to be on them. And uh, there's going to be a lot of comparison going on every week with Ohio State and the, and the rest of the powerhouses. But uh, Buckeyes got away with a uh, with a good 21-10 win over Notre Dame, and uh, wasn't necessarily the game everybody kind of thought it would be, but uh, it was certainly very entertaining nonetheless. So, Brendan, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today on, uh, on episode two of the Big Ten Roundtable, and uh, I'm sure you enjoyed that game Saturday night quite a bit. I did. I think I'm finally uh, finally done building my arc here in Central Ohio because it hasn't stopped raining for at least 24 hours it's, uh there are floods all over the place it's crazy uh but no to your point man i mean look it it was a game that did not look like what we thought it would um certainly the entertainment factor was through the roof 
Uh, and, and it tested Ohio State right out of the gate in a way that I think a lot of Ohio State fans wanted to see if they were capable of answering. Because for so many reasons, Tom, I don't think the Buckeyes would have won that game last year. They, they needed to show, as Ryan Day said, all offseason, we need better competitive stamina. They were better in the fourth quarter than they were at any other point of the game. Uh, they showed the toughness that it required to run the football late when they had to. I thought there were times they might have been able to run it more early, but just didn't go that direction. You know, the offense lost arguably its best weapon, Jackson Smith and Jigba, really early in the game. And between that and it being week one in general against a really good team, it's just a little clunky. It, you know, it wasn't terrible. It's not like they were constantly, you know, uh, working from second and 12 or something like that because they couldn't get, you know, positive yards on first down. That, that wasn't the case. Um, it, it just it wasn't this high octane group that, you know, we've come to expect from the Buckeyes. And there are a few reasons for that. Um, and certainly among them is that Notre Dame's got a pretty decent defense and I actually thought they covered better uh, with their secondary than, than I was expecting. So, you know, as a Buckeye fan, you sit here on, on Monday morning as we record this and you feel generally pretty good because your defense looks like the real deal, the way it played. Um, both Ohio State and Notre Dame walk away from that game going, gosh, we missed a couple of really good opportunities that could have swung this game to a much wider margin. That's sort of what you learn in, in week one. Uh, and Ryan Day, you know, pointed out post game, the Buckeyes consecutively have now played four top 10 you know, teams in Michigan State, Michigan, Utah, and Notre Dame. And that's a, that's a pretty tough draw. Uh, and I think, you know, what we just saw from Ohio State on, uh, on Saturday night was the best performance, even considering what they did in the Rose Bowl. And yeah, I know they pounded Michigan State. But for a lot of reasons, what they did on on Saturday to me ranks pretty high on on the list of, of recent performances for the Buckeyes, especially on the defensive side. Um, I'd rather be Ohio State than LSU right now. I'd rather be Ohio State than, jeez, um, uh, West Virginia. Um, a lot of big programs made some critical mistakes and big moments and they are sitting at 0 and one because of it this uh this first week of college football so i think the buckeyes are going to be just fine yeah i think uh in uh, eugene oregon they're trying trying to figure out uh, <laughs> there too that was bad but uh yeah you know the thing to me brendan with uh um with ohio state especially like there's nothing that football players and especially football players on a college level hate most and people questioning their toughness and their manhood. And, you know, that was sort of the case with Ohio State's defense last year. They just didn't feel like they competed hard enough. You know, and, and you know, a lot of games you know, where they you know, gave up a ton of points, ton of yards, certainly looked the case. And, uh, you know, we talked about it last week. It's been talked about in Columbus all spring and summer long about with Jim Knowles coming in, how it just had to be a tougher unit. And I think without question that they passed the test in, in week one, you know, in regards to not only playing well schematically and such, but I thought they did a great job of tackling. I thought they uh, – I, I don't recall a whole lot of blown coverage stuff. I thought, you know, for week one, you know, right out of the gate, I really thought that defense played great. They did. I mean, annoyingly, the first play from scrimmage featured uh, a, a corner blitz and some additional pressure up the middle – Buckner got the ball off in time and completed a pass to Lorenzo Styles. He breaks a tackle and he goes 54 yards. And there was a 15-yard penalty on, you know, on the back end of that. So 
Ohio State fans, literally with all the hype surrounding this game, with that stadium as loud as it was, and all of the stars there pregame, you know, guys, all the recent NFL players, LeBron James, the celebrities that were there, there's all this other stuff. And to have the air taken out of the building on literally the first play, people are like, you, you have got to be kidding me. Are we really going to see this again? Um, and it proved by the end of the game that was an anomaly because Ohio State basically gifted Notre Dame a touchdown and then stiffened the defense and held them to a field goal. Um, okay, check number one. You know, you figured out a way to to minimize the damage. Um the one touchdown drive Notre Dame had, I don't want to take anything away from it. It was a good drive. They went 87 yards up the field. Um, they were they were certainly helped by a very fortunate catch. It was very athletic. It was also pretty lucky. Uh, when you're laying on the ground and a ball falls into your lap, there's some luck involved with that. Uh, but he still caught it. Um, and then, you know, finished off the drive. However... Ohio State had a different rotation of defensive linemen in on that drive that did not see nearly as much time the rest of the game. I think there's a reason for that. Uh, when the Buckeyes played their first group, their first starting defense, which it felt like all year last year we were trying to figure out who that group was, that unit this year from front to back in the defense, week one, they were lights out. Um, I think – I, I really think they have figured out, okay, we know who our guys are now and then who we have to supplement with things. We're not going to see the same kinds of uh, of deep on the depth chart rotation that we saw certainly at this point last year. Tommy Eichenberg was outstanding. Lathan Ransom played a really good game as a safety, uh, but you probably could argue the player of the game was Mike Hall Jr., uh, defensive tackle, a kid from from Greater Cleveland, went to Streetsboro High School. Didn't really see a lot of time last year. Just couldn't find his way into things. We started to hear a little bit toward the end of camp. This kid's playing really good football, and if he looks in camp, or I should say, if he looks in week one like he did in camp, he's going to be tough to handle. Mike Hall was more than tough to handle. He was a wrecking ball in week one. Um, and if Ohio State can get that kind of play from their defensive tackle spot, that is a major question mark answered because, as you said, Oregon and Michigan in particular, when they wanted to run the ball, they could. And Ohio State can't win a national championship if you can't stop the run. Exactly. And one of the things, you know, when we were trying to break down this game, you know, not only you and I, but, you know, in other conversations as well, but I kept trying to remind people when this point spread kept getting to 16, 17, 18 points some places was that I really thought Notre Dame would come out and play very hard for Marcus Freeman in his first game. And I thought their defense was going to be good enough, uh, you know, to, to keep Ohio State in check a little bit to hang around. Now, they surprised me as to how solid they were, though, kind of from beginning to end. I mean, it took it took some business in the fourth quarter there to, you know, to finally pull away and you know, to, you know, to keep C.J. Stroud in the, in the low 200s passing and, the, you know, in the, in the, the hold Ohio State to 21 points. I think if you'd have told Notre Dame before then that, you know, they would have absolutely taken that, you know, and, uh, you know, it, but but I think, you know, to me, with with coming out, you know, victorious, you know, and, and getting a big win like that, despite not rolling up 
you know, a ton of yards. I think they had what 395, I think for the day was it, uh, you know, it, it still, I think it, it showed a lot, especially in the fourth quarter, you know, how they came together, you know, and then uh, certainly the weapons are on both running backs average over six yards a carry. It's not like they were bad. It's just that, uh, you know, that the, the five, 600 yards we thought we'd see and the 50 points that we thought we'd see, we did not see that. And, so, well, and, and I just wonder if that's more a, re- a moral reflection of Notre Dame being pretty good on defense. You know, I, I expected that Notre Dame's defensive line was going to be good. I didn't know how good they would be if Isaiah Foskey didn't play super well. He was fine, but he wasn't a major impact. And yet their defensive line played pretty well. Um, but again, don't put played pretty well in the context that they were constantly getting to the quarterback. I mean, C.J. Stroud was uh, was sacked on the first offensive play from scrimmage that Ohio State took and was not sacked the rest of the game. You know, he had, to, he had to roll out a few times. They put some pressure on him. And to your point, you know, C.J. had to make some really tough and thankfully for him, accurate throws on the run late in the game that, you know, as a fan made you go, wow, okay, I didn't know how he completed that. Um, Their secondary, you know, I thought they were going to try to shy away a little bit from Brandon Joseph and Cam Hart. They went right at Cam Hart. They didn't care. Um, the, the, The bigger difference was actually, in my opinion, on on the Ohio State receiver side. And I'm not just talking about the absence of their best player in Jackson Smith and Jigba. The Buckeyes have an incredible amount of talent in that room. And we've we've heard about it. We talked about it. We put it out there. But I think it's fair to say that in a lot of ways, for as talented as that room is, they're still a little raw when it comes to playing against that level of competition on that stage. And they largely performed well. But it's not Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson quite yet. It's it's not some of the all-time great receivers we've seen in Ohio State quite yet. I thought Emeka Igbuka played a really good game. They got him the ball a bunch. Uh, when Jackson got hurt, they put him in as the punt returner, which is not unusual. He, he returned punts and kicks last year too. Uh, end of the game with nine catches. I think he had 90 or 91 yards and a touchdown. Um, but he also he made a, a little bit of a mistake on a ball that – if you're casually watching the game, you think to yourself, ah, oh, CJ threw behind him. It, it it could have turned into an easy first down and maybe a touchdown as the Buckeyes approached the red zone. Um, he he didn't recognize zone coverage. And he went flying through it. If he sits down, he's got an easy completion, right? So I guess my point is like there are there were a few instances where I looked at our receivers when I went back and rewatched the game and thought, gosh, there's a lot to work with here. Give them two, three, four more games, and we're going to be seeing something really special. But not a surprise to see just a little bit of clunkiness here and there. Um, you know, it was offset by the fact that Mayan Williams really ran hard late. He had, I think, almost 50 of his rushing yards on Ohio State's 14-play, 95-yard scoring drive to basically ice the game. Um, but the story of the game, Tom, the defense did on Saturday what it couldn't do last year. When the offense was struggling, the defense kept the game very much attainable. Last year, if Ohio State's offense wasn't setting the tempo, 
you had a pretty queasy feeling early in the game. So that was the biggest difference. Jim Knowles said he expected it after the game. We all hoped for it. Now maybe we could all expect it too. Uh, really fun to watch and, you know, especially playing some lesser opponents the next couple of weeks. I think this team's going to get uh, get some polish and, and hopefully it's going to be a fun Big Ten season. There you go. Yeah, I wanted to kind of lastly kind of wrap it up with you on that. Obviously, Arkansas State and Toledo the next couple of weeks uh, setting the stage for uh, – uh, for Wisconsin, Michigan State, and, and Iowa coming uh, in fairly quick fashion after that. Um, what uh, what do you think uh, they're going to try to get accomplished here in the next couple of weeks? And, you know, based on kind of what you saw Saturday and what you see might come ahead, uh, wh- what concerns, if any, do you have uh, that, this, that you want to see this team be better at, you know, come three weeks down the road? Yeah, I think it's, it's reps um, on the defensive side. Mike Hall Jr., JT Tuimoloau, Jack Sawyer. Those those are arguably your three best defensive linemen. They're all sophomores. Uh, Jack and JT played last year, but they looked on Saturday against Notre Dame like they were, you know, much more polished players than they were as as highly touted freshmen. Continued reps for them. Um, from the wide receiver group, uh, there was a report last night that. Um, the injury to Jackson Smith and Jigba was basically a, a minor hamstring injury, a low grade strain, and that he might miss quote a game or two, which to me, as soon as the game was over on Saturday, before that report came out, I thought to myself, as long as this is not a severe injury, there's literally no reason to put this guy on the field the next two weeks. Just like if he's fine. Okay. But if there's any hesitation whatsoever, just, you don't need him. You're not, you don't need Jackson Smith and Jigba to beat Arkansas state or to beat Toledo. And I'm not trying to be disparaging to those teams, but there's a reason that the Buckeyes are a 44 point favor on Saturday. They've, they've got a lot of talent. They're going to win the line of scrimmage. And it's, it's just as simple as that. So don't rush it with a guy that you probably do need to win the national championship. I have a hard time seeing the Buckeyes winning it all without Jackson, but I suppose you never know. Um, you know, I, I expect Ohio State to just get more crisp offensively. I think they probably know because they're going to dominate the line of scrimmage that they can run the ball a little bit more efficiently. So I expect a heavier dose earlier in the game from Mayan Williams and from Travion Henderson. Um, you know, I said last week at our preview show on, on Buckeyes Now that, you know, I thought there were going to be at least 25 carries between Travion and Mayan. And then I thought Williams was going to get within a couple of Henderson. Um, turns out they had 29 carries total. They combined for 175 rushing yards. I would, I would expect at least those numbers the next two weeks against two defenses that are probably going to have some trouble stopping the run. Um, you know, between it being week one and being a challenge because you're just trying to get back out there and work through the the jitters and, and playing against another team uh, and then playing against the quality opponent that Ohio State did, I, I, I'm i fine with what happened. I said all week I thought the spread was a little aggressive. Um, admittedly, Ohio's defense played way better than I thought it would. I, I thought Notre Dame would score a couple more times, and they weren't far away from doing it. The Buckeyes just made a couple of really good plays. Um, but, yeah, Ohio State's offense didn't look quite as overpowering as I expected. 
Uh, and so I, I think a couple weeks against teams that are going to struggle to cover them a little bit and certainly struggle at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, I, I expect Ohio State to look at a little bit more like what we expect here these next couple weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Brandon, thanks very much for your time today. We will uh, see you back uh, in two weeks' time, uh, episode four on our uh, on rotation. So by then, uh, in that time, we're going to be able to start to look at that first Big Ten game with uh, Wisconsin. And obviously, uh, you always factor in the opponents, but we all expect Wisconsin's defense to be pretty good this year, and they certainly look really good in week one. And uh, so we'll look forward to breaking that down with you in a couple of weeks. And uh, enjoy a couple of cupcake Saturdays, and uh, hopefully everybody stay healthy. And uh, and we'll talk to you again uh, in two weeks' time on the Big Ten Roundtable. But uh, thanks again, Brandon, for joining us today, and uh, we'll see you real soon, man. That sounds good. Thanks for having me, Tom. And for folks that are interested more on the Buckeyes, head over to BuckeyesNow.com. The Buckeye Breakdown podcast, which is available both as a live stream on YouTube, but also wherever you like to get your podcast after the fact. And you can follow us on social media at Buckeyes Now SI. Great. Thanks for throwing that in there, Brendan. I appreciate it. I was going to ask you that anyway. So it uh, beat me to it. But good. Yeah. For the best coverage of Ohio State stuff, you just got a lot of great stuff on your site every day. And uh, certainly, certainly must see for all Buckeyes fans to be there and all. Big Ten fans who want to pay attention to what's going on with Ohio State. Certainly uh, the best team uh, in, the, in the Big Ten, it looks like, right now. So, Brendan, thanks for your time, man, and we will see you in two weeks. Sounds good. Thanks, Tom. All right, everybody, Tom Brew back with you here on Sports Illustrated Fan Nation as we enter the third quarter here of the Big Ten Roundtable, uh, week number two in the books. And uh, I'm happy to bring in Mark Wogenrich from All Penn State, our uh, Sports Illustrated Fan Nation site that covers all things Penn State. And uh, Mark, uh, the Unity Lions uh, got a nice victory over the uh, over week one, uh, Saturday on Thursday night with a win at Purdue. And I always say that you know, every Big Ten road game is a big win uh, when you can get them. And uh, to have a Big Ten road win in week one is probably even all the more special. So uh, welcome to the show, Mark, and uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. Really appreciate it. And I got some feedback after that game. There's always feedback, fan feedback. I'm sure you get it too, about everything that, you know, ostensibly went wrong for Penn State in that game. Some of the coverage issues, uh, the obviously the pick six that Sean Clifford threw, the fact that they uh, lost an 11-point lead and had to have a, a comeback, set up a comeback at the end of the uh, end of that game. And I'll always point out, especially regarding this game, when you score 35 points on the road in a Big Ten game, especially in your first game of the year, you've done something right. I don't think you can nitpick, sure, and there's a lot to there's a lot to nitpick about that game. But that was, you know, that was as good an opening win as they've had in well in a while. I wouldn't, you know, go. You can go back to last year when they won at Wisconsin, and we'll see how. This year's arc of the season trades uh, in comparison to last year. But they haven't scored 35 points against a Power 5 team under offensive coordinator Mike Yersich yet. So that being the first time to me was another huge component of that game. All in all, warts and all, that was a big win for Penn State. Yeah, there's no question about that. Especially, I know, um, you know, from my end, being up at Purdue much of that week setting it up, you know, I thought both of those teams kind of went into that game with uh, sort of on the same arc. I mean, I think, you know, Purdue really feels like they have a very good team, too. They certainly like what they can do offensively. They feel like they can contend uh, in the Big Ten West really for the first time. And, you know, to have those two teams, you know, come into a game like that, I mean, I, 
I commend Fox for picking that to be a good Thursday night game to start the season with because you had two really good teams playing each other. And I thought all things considered, the, the quality of play, you know, for game one was good too. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Purdue ran up some yards and they scored 31 themselves too. But, uh, you know, there were, I think uh, defensively, uh, they gave up Penn State, gave up a lot, but it looks like there's still uh, plenty of talent on that defense, you know, for them going forward to think, you know, that they can even be better than they were in week one. Yeah, I think the main thing with Penn State's defense in that game is it did give up a lot of yards, 400, and I think about 350 passing. But there was only one passing touchdown that Aiden O'Connell threw. And you remember last year, he finished last year, just blitzing opponents. I think he threw 19 touchdown passes in his last five games of the 2021 season. Just to hold him to one touchdown pass, not to me, it was nothing short of miraculous. And there was one really interesting stat that had to be updated. And I think from Penn State's perspective, they really wanted this updated. Initially, the official stats credited Penn State with 10 pass breakups. And Penn State went back and looked at it and said, I think we had more than that. And it turns out, uh, Penn State came up with 16 in that game, which set a school record. Joey Porter Jr. had six, and I, I think initially he was credited with three, which I thought seemed a little low. So six was closer to the, you know, to the right number. That also was a school record. They really challenged Aiden O'Connell to, I think, to throw into his his confident windows, and they broke up or disrupted a lot of those passes. I don't think they tried to get a ton of pass rush on him. I don't think they expected to because they knew how quickly he was going to get rid of the ball and how good he is in that offense. So they, I think they relied more on their secondary, which is the strength of their defense to really impede him most. And like I said, to me, the most important, the most glaring stat, other than the fact they held him 50% completion rate, which, you know, he should be, you know, he threw for 72% last year was the fact that he threw one touchdown pass and having thrown, I think four or five in the bowl game and 19 over basically the last five games of the year in 2021 really was, I think was a stark stat to me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's flip over to the other side of the ball, but Sean Clifford back for his, uh, I think it's his 23rd year now at uh, state <laughs> and uh, um, you know, lead, leading that offense again, I was uh, a little surprised I guess that they didn't run the ball better I kind of thought against Purdue's defense that they would um, but and Sean you know had a mistake or two certainly in there but uh, I thought when he had to make good throws late he did uh, show that sort of veteran presence when you uh, when you wrap all of that up Mark what, what what sort of grade would you give the offense for that first game that night in my, I did a report card after the game, and I, I gave him a, I gave him a B minus, and a lot of that was tied to the run game, and that interception, that interception grading out, I, I think kind of maybe overwhelmed some of the, uh, some of the appearance of that game, or, or some of the way people um, looked upon that game, but Sean was great in two really important situations at the end of the first half and the end of the, you know, at the end of the fourth quarter. Penn State, he threw touchdown passes, you know, with in the last minute of both halves. Penn State got the ball back on a turnover with 30 seconds left and had timeouts. And instead of trying to run on first down or kneel on the ball, even they got aggressive and he made it made a really terrific play to his tight end, Brenton Strange, who had got to get nudged out of bounds. And Sean pushed him. You could see if you watch the you know, watch the replay, 
he's pointing to Sean or he's pointing to Brenton Strange get downfield because he saw an opening that turned into a 67 yard touchdown. And then six of seven on that last drive after throwing the pick six, which was his first pick six of his career. He was, I mean, he was close to immaculate on that last series. He got a break. There was a missed tackle on uh, Mitchell Tinsley, Penn State's you know transfer receiver. Kind of turned a swing pass into a big gain. Got him into got him into field goal range potentially to, to tie the game. So he did catch a break there, but he was sharp. He was just sharp in those situations. And I think you have a quarterback who can be sharp in in testing situations and that's the important thing with Clifford I mean James Franklin has already called him 45 years old this year he's called him 38 years old this year he's going to make that joke throughout the season but Sean started 34 games now and I think Saturday was his 39th game that he's played he's probably played 2,000 reps of football in his career so you put him in in spots like that He's not going to be limited by fear of the moment or not being able to identify the defenses or freezing. He's going to be limited by one, just, you know, kind of the peak of his talent and two, his, maybe his occasional inclination to try to make a play that he can't make. And that is where I think that is where that's where Penn State lived and died really with and Sean Clifford's three years as a starter. And that's what's going to happen this year if they can't get their running game, as you mentioned, kind of disappointing, but it was disappointing all last year if they can't get it ready for the Big Ten season. Yep, I certainly, um, you know, had that in my notes that that was going into that game when I wanted to see if Penn State was going to be any better running the ball. Because last year, especially, uh, granted, they had a boatload of injuries, too, and I think that compounded uh, the problems last year. But I was kind of hoping to see more of that come in uh, to this year, and it wasn't there. So uh, uh, curious to see how that goes going forward there with them. So, Mark, one thing, the last question I wanted to ask you, because you and I did not have a chance to kind of talk at, uh, uh, in the preseason, you know, leading up uh, to this uh, 2022 season. So let's talk a little bit in generalities here about Penn State, because, um, you know, for years, you know, since since you and I have started doing this, you know, on the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation thing, you know, this is year four for me now. Uh, there's always in the Big Ten East been that bit of a line of demarcation where, you know, you've got the Blue Bloods, you got Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and Michigan State that have sort of uh, dominated the top top half of that division and, you know, and Rutgers and Indiana and Maryland trying to make their way. And certainly Indiana did that for a year or two there. Uh, but now this year, you know, in talking – to my Michigan people and my Ohio State people and my Michigan State people, they all feel very confident that there's a big difference uh, between those three teams and Penn State, that they feel like Penn State is clearly um, the fourth best team at best in the Big Ten East. Now, that's from their perspective. So I'm kind of curious as to see, like, where you sit with that. And, and as we get – you know, a, a month or so away from some big showdowns. We get it. You play Penn State plays Michigan early in the Big Ten schedule. Ohio State just a few weeks later. Where do you think Penn State sort of sits in this pecking order? Obviously, not ranked in the preseason poll, but close. Uh, even after beating Purdue, still not ranked, but close. Like, where do you feel like this team sort of fits in the Big Ten East pecking order this year? You know, I they're not Ohio State. I think they've got a, every opportunity to challenge Michigan in that division. I know Michigan, you know, it, it could be Michigan-Ohio State again, for all I know, at the end of the year. I get a sense that Penn State is going to be 5-0 and 
when they go to Michigan in mid-October. They'll they have to go to Auburn in two weeks. And I that not that's not going to be an easy game for them because the way Auburn's going to run the ball is going to test, I think, what might be the stress points on Penn State defense, and that's their front seven, particularly their linebackers. If they come out of there, I think they'll be 5-0. and They would have to beat Northwestern then at home before playing Michigan. That, to me, will be the – that will be the landmark test for this team. Going and playing at Michigan, they just haven't had great success there much outside of the you know 2020 season, which I think we can still discount uh, at this point. I there's a there's an awful lot to like about this team. I think what you're looking at though is what's Sean Clifford's ceiling. His floor is hugely high. I, you know, I think he gives Penn State quarterback wise, I think one of the highest floors in the Big Ten, maybe outside of CJ Stroud and whatever happens at Michigan and even Aiden O'Connell at Purdue. I think Sean Clifford's floor is is a really important starting point for them. And he's second year in the Mike Yersich offense. I do think they're going to run the ball better. A couple of freshman running backs that everybody should really keep an eye on are Katron Allen and Nicholas Singleton. But do they have that elite level of talent? One of the interesting things about that Purdue, Purdue opener is that you saw a quarterback come in and play one series when, according to James Franklin, Sean Clifford was cramping up, had to get an IV. His name's Drew Aller. He's from Ohio. At one point, he was the number one ranked quarterback in the country. He was really highly ranked in that SI-99. Um, I know John Garcia Jr. at Sports Illustrated. Uh, the, re- the recruiting al- analyst at Sports Illustrated is really high on Drew Aller. I'd seen him a bunch of times, including out at Elite 11. And Drew's the future of this team. When does the future start if Penn State things go awry? Maybe they come out of that. Michigan game with a couple of losses. I just don't see them trading on Sean Clifford's on this season to kind of jumpstart the future of it because you don't want to give away wins necessarily to guys who have been around for a while, but you did see the future of that team. And I think the Penn state's future with Drew Aller and some of the young talent they brought in over the last two years is really high. And I think it could contend a year or two? Are they that far away? I don't want to discount this year because anything's possible with Sean Clifford. I really believe that. I think, you know, as bad, as bad as an interception was, it, if he's throwing four inter- or four touchdowns and an interception a game, that's kind of Big Ten player of the year stuff right there at the end of the season. It won't happen. I'm not sure that'll happen. But that those are huge numbers. And I think with him, you always have to gauge on where – he can go further than what he is now. If he can, if he can elevate his ceiling, then really, who knows what Penn State could do at home against Ohio State in late October? Absolutely, Mark. Well, appreciate you uh, joining the Big Ten Roundtable this week, and uh, we will see you back again later in the year for a couple of a uh, couple more appearances. We appreciate it, and uh, glad to have Big Ten football back. And uh, certainly, Week One was. Uh, very entertaining. It was uh, my comments earlier I thought were really true. I mean, Fox picked, you know, had Penn State Purdue on Thursday, which was a great game, went right down the wire. Then Indiana, Illinois, the very next night, you know, yeah. game winning drive in the final two minutes with a score with 20 something seconds to go. It's like, it was great Big Ten football right out of the gate. And then uh, certainly there was plenty of entertainment on Saturday as well. It was good. So, uh, 
a little bit of a light week two schedule, but then week three, there's a whole bunch of good stuff again, too. And obviously then after that, we're starting to dive into some conference games. So it's going to be great. Glad to have it all back. And Mark, thank you very much for joining the show. Uh, appreciate you having it on and we'll look forward to talking to you real soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. All right. Well, that'll, uh, that'll do it for the third quarter here of the Big Ten Roundup. Let's uh, hear from a couple of our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll break down week two, uh, run down the whole lineup for you, give you game times, TV information so you don't miss a beat. We'll do all of that right after a word from some of our sponsors. Welcome to the New Calm family. My name is Jim Poole. I'm the president and CEO of Solace Life Sciences, the neuroscience company that makes New Calm. And what is it? It's simply a technology that when you're feeling stressed or you're not sleeping well, whatever it is that life brings you, New Calm is a tool that predictably, safely, and reliably is going to take good care of you. Find a comfortable place. Put the disc on, eye mask, choose your track. You're going to lie down. What's going to happen? Your mind's going to wander. But here's how you'll know New Calm's working. You'll begin to feel your body separate from your mind. Your mind's going to wander and your body's going to feel heavy and your respiration's going to slow down. And you're going to go somewhere, somewhere where your mind just wanders and your body heals. And then at some point, you just kind of come to. Simply take off the eye mask, stop the track, take the disc off, and off you go. We'll look forward now as we head uh, into the, in our fourth and final quarter of the show. Uh, it's time to... Time to take a look at the at the, at the week two schedule and break it down. Not a lot of great games, but certainly some nice some rivalries in there and such. But uh, definitely, uh, certainly enough to look forward to, and uh, we'll go from there. So here's a complete rundown of the schedule, and we'll do it. You know, we'll do it kind of chronologically, so you can figure it all out and map out your day for uh, for another good college football Saturday. Everybody plays on Saturday this week. Uh, no Thursday or Friday games, so you just be prepared for a nice full Saturday of Big Ten football. It starts at noon Eastern time with uh, Ohio State, uh, despite the big victory last week, now number three in the country, got passed uh, by Georgia, who was uh, really impressive in knocking down Oregon. But Buckeyes number three in the country, and they're playing Arkansas State uh, at Ohio Stadium. It's a noon game. It's on the Big Ten Network. Uh, and then one thing to keep in mind, folks, on the Big Ten Network, weeks like this where there's a lot of non-conference games, there are multiple Big Ten Network channels on many cable and satellite systems. So I always warn people, plan ahead a little bit so you know exactly uh, where to find your game, your team when they get going. Uh, Arkansas State at Ohio State, noon Eastern time on the Big Ten Network. The other noon game on the Big Ten Network as well, which is why I just brought that up, is to be able to find it, is Western Illinois playing at Minnesota on the Big Ten Network at noon, games at Huntington Bank Stadium at noon. Also at noon is Duke at Northwestern. It's a, a game on Fox Sports 1, get a little national attention for the Wildcats who uh, who were on national TV two weeks ago when they beat Nebraska and Ireland. Uh, that game on Fox Sports 1 at Ryan Field in Evanston. Uh, it interesting to see what happens with the Wildcats, if they can build off that first win and grab a second one. Penn State is also home at noon. They play Ohio University, take on the Bobcats at Beaver Stadium. That game is on ABC uh, and uh, at noon Eastern time. So it's the ABC national game there. At 3.30, the Fox national game is number 19 ranked Wisconsin, hosting Washington State from the Pac-12. It's the uh, one of the few uh, uh, Power 5 versus Power 5 meetings uh, this week on the schedule. There's uh, just two of them. So that's a, that's a good one there on Fox at 3.30 at Camp Randall Stadium, and the place will be jumping for sure. Also at 3.30, Maryland takes on Charlotte. Uh, that game is on the road, too. They're playing at Jerry Richardson Stadium in Charlotte. 
Uh, the game not on TV, but uh, uh, certainly uh, the Terrapins looking to go 2-0 as well. At 4 o'clock, number 14-ranked Michigan State is home to take on the Akron Zips. That game's on the Big Ten Network and uh, at Spartan Stadium at 4 o'clock. The best, uh, the best game on the Big Ten slate this week, in my opinion, is uh, the big in-state rivalry between Iowa State and Iowa. That game starts at 4 o'clock. It's also on the Big Ten Network live from Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City. Hawkeyes are 1-0, but they did not look good last week at all in, uh, in beating, uh, beating South Dakota, and its offense was horrible. So it'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back quickly. Illinois plays the, for the third week in a row already. They're at home. Uh, take, take on the Virginia Cavaliers of the ACC, uh, that third uh, Power 5 versus Power 5 game of the week. Uh, 4 o'clock on ESPNU, uh, live from Memorial Stadium in Champaign. Also at 4 o'clock, Purdue hosts Indiana State. That game's on the Big Ten Network at 4 from ross Aid Stadium. Uh, Rutgers is at home playing Wagner at 4 o'clock as well. Also a Big Ten game from SHI Stadium in beautiful Piscataway, New Jersey. Georgia Southern is traveling to Nebraska for a 7.30 p.m. game. That's on Fox Sports 1, live from Memorial Stadium. Uh, the Cornhusters bounced back from that week zero loss and won last week. This is their third game in three weeks as well. National TV game on Fox Sports 1 at 7.30, Georgia Southern in Nebraska. Michigan is home under the lights in the, the big house. They uh, are going to host a Hawaii team that got clobbered. Uh, by Vanderbilt in week zero, and uh, Michigan looked really good last week in their win over Colorado State, up to number four in the polls uh, after that impressive performance. Eight o'clock on the Big Ten Network, live from the big house. And lastly, Indiana's home, another night game for the Hoosiers, uh, taking on the Idaho Vandals uh, at Memorial Stadium. As I mentioned in the earlier segments here, Indiana had a huge win, uh, beating Illinois 23-20 to on a last-minute drive. Uh, scoring in the closing seconds to, to get their first Big Ten win since December of 2020 and follow it up now, their first of their three non-conference games. They take on an Idaho team that they beat fairly handily last year. That game's on the Big Ten Network as well at 8 o'clock. And uh, please, again, beware, especially uh, Indiana fans from out of state. Uh, Michigan is playing at on the Big Ten Network at 8 o'clock at the same time. So Indiana will more than likely be on a secondary channel on your network if you're not uh, inside the state of Indiana. So make sure you find out well in advance as to how to find that Indiana-Idaho game so you don't miss a beat. But that's the last one on the schedule. Idaho at Indiana, 8 o'clock on the Big Ten Network. And that'll do it uh, for the, for our week two schedule. Uh, lots of good stuff there. Like I said, looking forward to Iowa State, Iowa for sure. Looking forward to see what Northwestern's got against Duke. It's, I'd like to see them get the 2-0 and and kind of get things rolling. And then Virginia, Illinois, another ACC Big Ten battle as well. So it's uh, certainly enough to look at. And then week three gets even better. So uh, really appreciate all of you uh, joining us for the Big Ten Roundtable podcast this week. Thoroughly enjoy doing these and interacting with the fans and and sharing all the stuff. Much appreciation to Brendan Gulick from Buckeyes Now and also for Mark Wogenrich from All Penn State uh, for joining the show next week. Uh, we'll be back for week three, and uh, we're going to talk more Michigan Wolverines football next week with Brandon Brown. we got some national guests coming in as well, and next week will be a great show as well too. So appreciate you being a part of it. Once again, this is Tom Brew for Sports Illustrated Fan Nation, and, well, and very, thank you very much for being a part of the Big Ten Roundtable podcast. We'll see you next week. The Big Ten Roundtable is a production of Hilltop 30 Publishing Group. Many thanks to this week's guest, Brendan Golick of Buckeyes Now, 
and Mark Wolgenrich of All Penn State on the Sports Illustrated Penn Nation Network. For content information, please contact Tom Brew via email at tombrew at hilltop30.com. For advertising and sponsorship rates, contact Director of Marketing Becky Riggle at beckyriggle at hilltop30.com. Special thanks to Video Director Haley Jordan and Production Coordinator Stacy Fisher. Thanks for enjoying the show. This is your announcer, Chuck Crabb, and we'll see you next week on the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network.